0: Welcome to the Stories Told Podcast. This is Episode 22, The Danger Spa. This is the Stories Told Podcast. Two authors talking about stories in movies, TV, and of course, books.
1: I'm Michael Grayford. I write action-adventure stories in fantasy and sci-fi worlds. Sometimes for younger readers, and sometimes for adults. And I try to always inject at least a little bit of humor.
0: And I am author E.W. Barnes, and I write action-adventure, time-travel novels, and space opera science fiction. Thousands of years, thousands of worlds, but be forewarned. Beyond here, there will be spoilers. Are you ready for the adventure? Let's begin. And welcome back to the Stories Told Podcast, where today we're going to be talking about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, our favorite episode, or a favorite episode, and a least favorite episode. But before we get into that, how are you doing this morning, Mike?
1: Doing great. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well, thank you. How are things going in your writing world?
1: Writing world. Uh, Let's see. I forget what we talked about last time, but have my cover design essentially done, finally. For Zara 1, there's still like one or two really, really small tweaks. And then I may need to adjust it just a tad when I have the final interior formatting done and I know the page count. But uh, for the most part, the art is done and ready to go. That's fantastic. That.
0: Congratulations.
1: Thank you. I'm excited about that. Um, and then other than that, I'm just still going through edits for Zara one and then slowly working through alpha feedback for my other story, the deep dark.
0: Have we ever talked about what your editing process looks like?
1: I don't know. (laughs) I don't think so. I go through multiple stages of writing. Um, I have generally five stages to book creation for me. The first is the outline come up with a story idea and then flesh it out. I call sort of the pre-production. By the end of that stage, I have the whole story plotted out um, scene by scene. Then I do what I call a rough draft, which is just write the whole thing out, not really worrying about errors too much. It tends to have continuity problems at the end of it. Then I do an edit pass on that, make it all consistent and coherent. That takes me to my alpha draft, which is a third stage. I hand that off to some of my local writing critique group people, and they give me feedback, and then I do an edit pass on that. That takes me to my beta version, which is stage four. And Then, of course, I do beta read with a larger group of readers, Um, not necessarily just writers, but people who just read stories, so I get more of a general... Consumer feedback, uh, and then I incorporate those edits and do a final draft so that's the fifth and final stage, uh, which is what I'm in now for Zara one um, that also includes some line editing and copy editing, which is what i'm doing now and then after that's done i'll do a proofread and that'll be the end <laughs> Is that too much? How about you
0: That's awesome well, as far as like uh, my writing world right now, I have finished that short story did the deep deep edit on it and line editing and copy editing and shared it with a friend. Thank you very much.
1: You're
0: welcome. Um, So I'll probably let it percolate for another day or two. And then there's nothing else that I think needs to be changed. I will submit it um, for consideration for the anthology. And, um, as we're recording this, this is the week of the 4th of July holiday, so I'm a little behind on everything else. I actually took some time off and relaxed, which was nice. So I still need to do, I, I did a really, really rough outline of my next chapter in Ecliptic, which is the second book of the Adventures of the Empyrean Guard series. And, but I have not put as many words into it as I would have liked by this point in the week, so that's something I'm going to need to focus on. As far as my um, sort of whole writing and editing process is at least the way it stands right now, and I, what I mean by that is I consider it to be a very evolutionary kind of organic thing as I grow and learn as a writer, because I would call myself a sophomore writer right now. need to produce a lot more books before I consider myself to be a senior or have some mastery of it. So right now, I too uh, develop a plot, but my plots are usually really high level. They're... 30,000 foot was what I say because I, I know where I want to start and I know where I want to end up, and I know a couple of highlights that I want to hit in the middle. But I t- try and very hard not to put any detail on there because I'm one of the writers who, if I put together too detailed a plot, I won't want to write the story. I'll be, I'll be done. So I have to keep it really loose and then allow myself to uh, find my way what they call discovery writing. I discover as I go. And which is really interesting, because I did put together a plot for this short story. And I went back and reviewed it yesterday to see if there were any things that I missed that I wanted to make sure I included in the story. And it's funny, I went completely in a different direction than I had originally thought I would. But it's a better direction, so I'm happy with it. And I, and I enjoy that. That's what makes it fun for me. That's great. I, what I really struggle with is what you were talking about, about doing the rough draft without worrying about errors and issues. I really struggle with that. I want to learn to just let go and do the vomit writing and then go back and clean it up later. And one of the reasons I struggle with that is because I spent years writing nonfiction and editing other people's nonfiction. And so I I like editing. I enjoy editing. And that's where my brain wants to go. So I struggle with not editing while I'm writing. And then after that, I will do a sort of a plot edit to make sure the plot went the direction I wanted to go, I will do a voice edit and I will do a character edit to make sure the character's evolving the way I want them to go or think they should go or if they just start evolving on their own. How does that work for the, you know, the rest of the series, for example? Um, I do multiple sort of line and style and proofreading it. And I even do an edit where I will listen to it read back to me by a horrible robot voice but that helps me find things too. inconsistencies like, okay, this doesn't make sense. It made sense in my head, but now that I'm listening to a voice read it, I realize that there needs to be some connecting information here to make it make sense to another reader.
1: Yeah, that's a good idea. Do you use alpha readers or beta readers or any kind of readers?
0: I do not use alpha readers. I will use beta readers on my big novels because I think that's important. I can really get the forest for the trees thing with the big novels. You know, like I've missed something and beta readers are really helpful for that. Just making sure that there's no plot holes there. Good beta readers are hard to find because most of the people who want to read the novels are usually people who want to do proofreading and line editing, which is great. I don't mind having people wanting to do proofreaders and line editing, but to actually have the skill of sitting back and going, okay, the plot seems a little confusing, or I don't understand, uh, you know, why the character is doing this, it doesn't seem consistent, or there's an inconsistency between, you know, how the universe was created in this book versus in the previous book. Those folks are few and far between that have that skill and and want to do that because it's a different way of using your brain.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: So I cherish them when I find them.
1: (laughs) Right. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yeah.
0: And that's not to say I don't cherish my line editors and proofreaders too. I love them. But I also recognize that there's two different skill sets there. I
1: think if you have the, if you have quality people who are doing line edits, copy edits, proofreading type work, that's great. Those probably aren't at least your first pass beta readers, right? Because if you do a beta read and people say, oh, there's this plot element that doesn't work or these characters need to be developed, you could do significant changes all those little line edits might just disappear. You know, you might delete a whole chapter or something. So, you know, yes. it could end up being a lot of waste of time if you're doing it too early.
0: Yes, exactly. Have you encountered any great stories, television, books, or movies
1: lately? Yeah, that's a good question. I was seeing um, Silo, watching Silo on Apple, uh, right. Apple TV or whatever I think Apple TV is called um it's an interesting show i i'm still working my way through it i'm not sure if it's a great story yet (laughs) it's kind of slow but it's interesting it's a sci-fi story where uh, people in the future are living in this silo and they're like the outside of of the world you know it looks like it's been devastated right by some kind of war or something but there's Something going on where it's like, is the outside really devastated? Why are we in here? There's a lot of like mysteries left to the people because they don't have the full information of what's going on. Information has been restricted over like decades or centuries, maybe even. So there's a lot that they don't know. So it's, it's kind of getting unveiled as the story continues. So we'll see <laughs> as it plays out.
0: And I'm still working through the uh, Stormlight Excellent. Archive. <laughs> um, we finished uh, Lockwood and Company, and um, I think you were right. It ended in a way that the, the season was kind of wrapped up. Clearly, there were loose threads intended to be, you know, explored in the in season, two, But it wasn't so bad that we were left going, oh, man, we, we you know, didn't get this need fulfilled. And, and I may find myself, you know, getting the books to continue reading. Great. Watched another episode of Strange New Worlds, another excellent episode, really well done, and another episode of Secret Uh Invasion. Are you ready to talk about our Stargate SG 1 episodes? All right, let's go. So, today we're talking about Stargate SG 1 season 4 episodes that we like and dislike. And those episodes are Upgrades and The Light. So I'm going to go ahead and read the synopsis for the episode Upgrades. A niece of the Tokra arrives on Earth to test Atonique armbands on SG 1 and notices that they cause the team to be physically augmented. With their new powers evident, SG 1 urges Major-, Major General George S. Hammond to let them fight the Gould with them. However, the armbands also make the team more irrational. What would you like about this episode, Mike?
1: I thought it was a good start, again. They're very good with their openings, like catching your attention. It comes through the game like, oh, they've got these upgrade thing. that's interesting. So it hooks you into the story, I like that. I like some of the mechanics that they had in this episode, where to constantly eat, right? They need to... to get more energy because their bodies are now burning so much more energy. Made that made a lot of sense. And sometimes you don't see that uh in sci fi where that kind of thing just gets forgotten. Like, wait, how could they possibly use so much energy and not have to input that energy? So I like that they did that. Um I like the there was a cost to the upgrades. It seemed realistic, right? You don't just get something for free. That's, that's not how anything in the world works. So that also made sense and was a nice touch. Um, I really liked the crisis that they set up, the devices failing in the middle of their mission. That was wonderful. It wasn't like, oh, they just stopped. It's like, you know, right at the moment they need it the most, <laughs> they go, they just fail. I love when they do that. Uh, it sets up a good you know, worry in the viewer, right? That's what you want at that crisis moment. I just, I like the idea of this, something out of the blue, right? It's like, oh, we're going to get these upgrades and now we're going to be superpowered, essentially. thought that was a good idea. I like how they play with it. Then, um, of course, ultimately doesn't pan out long term, which you kind of know at the start of the start of the episode, that's probably going to be the case they're not going to be super powered for the rest of the show but it was a cool idea to play with what did you like
0: i enjoy the comedic elements of this story very much and it starts from moment one just like you said it was you know it's engaging but the comedy there where jack and daniel are kind of comedi- competing for a niece's attention because she's a very attractive young woman it's right right from the from the get-go and we've talked about this before how. I believe it was Nemesis, where you have your opening segment and you get so much character development in just a sh- very short period of time in that. And we see that again here in Upgrades, where you see this character development between Jack and Daniel kind of competing with each other for Anissa's attention. And Teal can, you know, Major Carter looking at them like, what the heck is going on? It was It's just really funny. And there was comedic elements throughout that we got to see, you know, Jack knocking teal unconscious, was funny, very light, very comedic. And as the episode progressed, there was still this sort of comedic element as the characters sort of let down their hair and we got to see more relaxed side of them. It reminded me a lot of Window of Opportunity, which is also a season four episode when Jack and Daniel, being trapped in that time loop, sort of just start doing whatever they want because there are no repercussions. And we see Jack throwing clay and, you know, goofing off, riding his bike through the Stargate command and playing golf with Teal'c with the Stargate open. I mean, there's just sort of these funny sort of what we wouldn't normally see kinds of behaviors. And I really enjoyed that as well. I really enjoyed how the story flowed from one scene to the next. Everything made sense. There wasn't any contrivances to push the story forward. It all was very logical and really worked well. And then we also talked about, in our last podcast, about B stories and the importance of B stories. And we kind of got that here with Hammond and Frasier's sort of working against the team and An- Anise with their armbands. It was kind of, you know, pitting against them a little bit. And we got to see more character development from General Hammond and more character development from Fraser, And I really enjoyed that as well.
1: Bring up a good point with, uh, well, first of all, those are good points, and I agree with them. Um, but the comedy is, is an interesting one because you're right. I think, they, I think they do that really well throughout the whole series. I think it's something that changed from the movie, right? The movie was serious right, from oh, the beginning yeah. to the end. I mean, the guy. Was,
0: there was a little bit of comedy, right? You had the creature that licked <laughs> Daniel's face yeah. and you had the chicken thing, you know, bok bok bok. so there was some comedy. It's true,
1: there was some, but, but I think the the the, the yeah. tone in SG-1 is, is yeah. generally a little lighter. So yes, when you're absolutely right. So when you have Jack knock out you're not really worried about Teal in that moment. You kind of know what the joke is what they're going for and you know and jack's response yeah. to it is like yeah felt good you know kind of he's just kind of rolling with it and, and Teal's like what do he say he's like oh sorry about that and tealuk said no you're not sorry he's like yeah you're right <laughs> so,
0: that was that was priceless yeah yep. so
1: yeah i love those moments those are great what do you think could be improved in this episode
0: Again, something niggling. There was only one moment that I thought sort of felt slightly unrealistic, and that is after the team left Stargate Command to go get steaks and then ended up in a bar fight, why didn't Hammond separate them and put them in individual cells or rooms you know, keep them under guard, knowing that their good judgment is being impaired by these armbands. Why did he put them all back together again, where they could make a plan to go destroy the Gould spaceship? <laughs> that's
1: a, that's a good point, especially since they're kind of feeding off of each other, right? Egging each other yes. on, and individually they couldn't cause as much havoc as they would as a group. That's a good point. I didn't even think of that.
0: It would have added to the level of how impacted they were to have them in separate rooms and have, like, O'Neill break out of his room, disable the guard, and go free the other two to go on this mission because it's so important. That would have added that uh, to that level of, boy, these armbands are really messing with their heads.
1: Oh, that's a good point. Okay, that, that will feed into to a comment I'll, I'll have in a bit.
0: Well, what, did you, what do you think? I'd love to hear that comment. Okay.
1: Um, well, let me get to the smaller things first, and then we'll get to that one. So so something I thought was a missed opportunity was we get to see Sam write a book. It's something that she's wanted to do. She did she wrote a whole book in like what was it, two hours or something. So it's always great. But I wanted to see more of that, uh, especially from Daniel. He he just translated one line of text. I felt like there's could have been something else tying into the larger universe that he could have done or set into motion right for the future. Um Beyond just that one thing, maybe, maybe, maybe this does have a ripple effect. I don't remember all the stories after this one, um, but anyway, that would—that's a small thing. It just would have been nice to see that for him as well. Jack does 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 Jack thing. He got to punch Tilk, so I think that was fine for him. Uh, I think uh, I would have liked to have seen more mystery as to what the bands would do. I guess, they, I guess they couldn't really plop them on without knowing, but it would have been nice if it's... This, it, this does this one thing, right? And then when they get them on, it starts manifesting other things that, like, other powers that they have. Because right now, it was... Here's these upgrades. forget what they called them, but uh, they're going to make you stronger and faster and smarter, whatever, and... That's just what it did, right? It just did exactly what they said. So I think the opportunity for mystery was lost a little bit there, which again will feed into a later comment. I thought they mentioned the the signs of organ failure too early in the episode. Because at that point, like if you're if their organs are starting to fail, that should be like, okay, this this program's basically terminated. Let's cut these things off or seriously consider chopping their arms off at that point, because they're going to die. So They mentioned that, and then they just kind of went on with other stuff. And then they never brought it up again, even though they were using them to the point where eventually they maxed it out and it came off. What happened with that? Like Your organs are failing. You're like on the verge of death. (laughs) So I figured they they, they could have pushed that back a little bit later into the episode to add to that crisis point rather yes. than make it seem like something that was just forgotten. Because really, they could have just never mentioned that, and it wouldn't have changed the story at all.
0: Agreed, and that's an excellent point.
1: Uh, let's see, what was the other, thank you. <laughs> the, the other thing I was saying was, related to that, Um, they mentioned that there was like a virus that was somehow improving their abilities. I don't know, sort of a sci-fi thing. It felt like they were just throwing a sci-fi thing in there, explain it didn't really need to be in there because, again, tied to the organ failure thing, oh, the virus is causing the organ failure. But it's like, if it's injecting a virus into you, why does it need to stay on your arm after that point? Like, it's already in your body. <laughs> like, it, it seemed like there were, were counter explanations, right? I, I don't think they needed yeah. to have that. It didn't, it didn't add anything to the story and just left open questions. At the end, they're at the crisis moment when their devices have stopped working and sends in Teal'c to save them. That seemed a little bit of a light response. Like, I think they could have had Teal'c leading another SG team. Uh, This is one thing that, that, that Stargate doesn't do as well, I think, is have show that there's these other teams out there that they're all working together, right? There's this larger you know, Stargate Command going on. This would have been a perfect opportunity to bring some other people in, have him lead a mission, rather than just send one guy <laughs> to, to save them. It was a little unrealistic. I thought. Um, I think that probably goes back to cost of the episode. You got to pay more actors for that. From a writing perspective, yeah. though, it seemed a little weak. So my my larger comment. Is I feel like could have done more with this episode, and probably split it into two. Because this was a big enough concept, um, with potentially large enough ramifications, where I would have liked to have seen more. What you said, where it's like maybe they split them up, and they have to get back together, to you know really uh, ignore their orders and go on this mission that they believe in. They could have spent more time on that part in the base. And then again, when they went on the mission, they could have spent more time because they kind of wrapped it up pretty quick. It's one essentially 43-minute episode. I think this one could have been split into two, give them some more time to have their abilities, maybe on a smaller mission first, then have them go on a bigger mission. Right, So it's like we see them have more time with it, uh, and they become a little more comfortable with it. Maybe Hammond is a little more comfortable with it. And then it starts to go bad, like maybe in the end of the first episode and into the second episode, really starting to worry. Um, and then the, and then they're in the mission where it fails, they get stuck there, and then they have more difficulty getting out. Because right now it's like super easy, barely an inconvenience. Right? It's like they're stuck in there, till it comes in, the power goes down, and they're out. It was like resolved super fast. Um, it felt sort of like a original Star Trek uh, episode resolution where it's like yeah, we in- we found the solution, we injected you and you're all fine again I mean, a lot of these sci-fi shows kind of end up being that way because they're so short but I think in this case it could have been made into two episodes with uh, a little more fun with them playing and then a little more attention on the back end during the mission and worrying about them dying and maybe bringing in the organs failing and having to deal with that anyway. <laughs> that was my thing
0: and actually, that's a really good idea, because another thing that I noted from this episode was that not only did you get sort of character development of Hammond and Frazier, but you also yeah. got sort of character development for the Tok'ra about how they manipulated Stargate command. And you could have spent a lot more time with that, too, and sort of sort of digging, digging a little deeper into that manipulation and what the Tok'ra had actually intended to do. So, yeah, that would two-parter would have worked on this one yeah
1: yeah that was a note i had i forgot to mention too like yeah you could add a lot more tension there with the toker and like how much should we trust these people now like what is what is their motivation because they were definitely manipulative here even if this person who was facing them wasn't necessarily that way now you have now it opens up a larger question of your allegiance with these people
0: exactly and what rating would you give upgrades?
1: So I, I would I I wouldn't rate this as highly as I, as I thought I was going to uh, when we were talking about it. I would give it probably a 6 because I think they could I I think they could have played with it more. It felt a little too simple and quickly wrapped up for me. I wanted to see they could have had more fun with it and then they could have had more tension at the end. Yeah, I'd give it a 6. How about you?
0: I think I'd give it a seven and a half because I did enjoy the comedy so much and the character development of Hammond and Frazier and even the Tok'ra. So I'm going to give it a seven and a half. Okay, let's talk now about the season four episode that we didn't like so much, The Light. And I'm going to read the synopsis now from the Stargate fandom wiki. After Lieutenant Dean Barber kills himself by running into the Stargate's unstable vortex and the rest of his team are mysteriously dying, SG-1 links the team's routine mission to P4X347 to be responsible, as they find a highly beautiful, yet very addictive, light. So was there anything you enjoyed about this episode, Mike?
1: Yeah, there was. A, there are a number of things I liked about this episode, actually. Um, more than I was expecting to, from what I remembered of it, I, I think it goes back to the mystery. I like that they set up a mystery of what's happening, and trying to figure out with them what's going on over the course of the episode. I like upping of the stakes when the when the other team dies. Well, that's pretty serious. Like something, <laughs> this is m- much worse than you may think. Originally, it's not just a headache that you get from this. I, th- I thought that they did that well. And I like that Daniel essentially dies, right, as they're trying to take them through the gate. Again, it's sort of this crisis moment, right, where they went all the way to the edge, like, oh, he's coding, basically. He's done. (laughs) You have, like, one second to get him through this gate back to that planet and hope it's going to somehow revive him. I thought they did that well. I like the reveal of what happened with the kid and his parents, you, you know something's going on right from the beginning, like his parents aren't just on a vacation somewhere and they're coming back. You know they're toast, like <laughs> you know from the beginning like ah, they're not coming back, and you're wondering what happened to them and where they are, so I like how they revealed that um from a technical standpoint, I like that they returned the planet with hazmat suits once they once they realized something was going on. I thought at first they were just going to go back to the gate. I like that they After that like they were ready okay something is there let's go back but you know be safer this time yeah what about you did you find anything to like from this episode
0: i liked the production values i think what they did as far as designing the gould palace and the light was really beautiful and very well done oh man as far as the story is concerned there's i oh boy what do I like about this story? <laughs> not much. <laughs> I'm trying to think, I, I was trying to think about, you know, this is just one of those ones that I will not rewatch. Um, I guess the creativity of, of sort of having a ghouled opium den. I liked that. I like that kind of creative idea.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. That's something really much weird, right? It's kind of like out of the blue again. And I I also found the production impressive. Like, with the light, I was watching it thinking, how did they do that back then? (laughs) Like, were the the graphics that good back then? I guess they were. It looked pretty impressive for the time. Still held up pretty well. Yeah,
0: it was beautiful. I mean, it reminded me of, like, being in a spa. Except it was, like, the danger spa.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Addiction spa. (laughs) <laughs> um okay well we can t- we can move to what i thought they could improve um they start with a stupid little thing so i said i'd like that they return to the planet with the hazmat suits right uh, take the precaution then they get there and they're like well we don't detect anything and they immediately take their helmets off <laughs> yeah. so it's like well come on people there's obviously something there that affected the other sg members you didn't detect on Earth. What makes you think you're going to detect it now <laughs> so that you should still have your suit on? Uh, anyway, I mean, I know technically they probably wanted to just have the characters there and not be in these suits the whole time, but from writing perspective, that was a little silly. Let me hit the other small things first and the bigger things. So some stories, just the way that they're written, written and unveiled make me wonder about logistical issues of the world and the setting, what the characters are doing, so in this case, kids' parents have been dead for a long time to the point where they're just skeletons out there. so how has he been surviving there this whole time? What has he been eating? <laughs> just like yeah. logistical thing like what I, I don't know it it goes back to like little things like that make it seem a little more fake, like it's just set up for this little play that you're doing. that was yes. disappointing um. The larger issue was kind of drags on. Um, I, I think this goes back to something we mentioned before: the no B plot. It's just this is the only thing, and we're just kind of waiting to see what happens. Yes, there's the mystery. Soon you kind of figure out what's going on, and then it's just a matter of playing it out, uh, and then gets to the end, and it's just very anticlimactic. It's like oh. See, so we resolved it. We're gonna be fine. And it's like, okay, I guess this episode's yeah. over now. Um, I don't know how you improve yeah. that, uh, other than having a different story. They <laughs> could have done something. They could have done something there, right? Make it a little bit more exciting at the end. There's something. There's automated, you know, defense systems that are coming after them. They have to explode. Give me some action or something there. What do you have to say that they could improve?
0: Well, uh, my first thought about it was it was rehashing some very similar storylines. Daniel's addicted again. Do you remember the episode, Mead, where he falls in love with a princess on some planet and he gets keeps getting stuck into the sarcophagus and he starts to get dependent on the sarcophagus? To me, that was the first thing I was thinking. was, oh, he's, you know, it's rehashing sort of this Daniel's oh. addicted again story. And like you, you know, I wrote down here boring and depressing (laughs) Um, and it takes them too long to figure out what's going on. And like you said, if there was a B story, they would have had to hurry that up and come to figuring out what was going on and then facing new challenges, stopping the problem rather than just sort of wandering around, staring at the light, which they did. I also found the kids' character inconsistent. Some moments he seemed like he was, I don't know, he just, he just came off as creepy.
1: <laughs> yes, he does.
0: And then they want to take him home, which I was like, okay, they're bringing home another stray kid. Rather than figuring out, when he said he wanted to go home, did they even find out if this kid had any family, like extended yeah. family, that might be at his quote-unquote home, rather than just scooping him up like a puppy and taking him home? I mean, that felt unrealistic to me. They should know better. <laughs>
1: No, that's a good point. Like, not, not only that, I mean, he has obviously. this he has a world that he came from. Right. Number one, wouldn't you want him to return him to his world? Number two, would you want to like go the, to that world <laughs> and explore it, like set something up for the future?
0: Yeah. Yes, exactly. Where's well, the follow up that you have another group of people who apparently have enough freedom to be explorers, which you don't see very often in the rest of these sort of gould occupied worlds
1: yes exactly it's a whole it's a whole other group of people who can roam around and know the Stargate and are out wandering the universe. Maybe they know plenty of you know planets that are safe that you can go to that you can make allies with
0: yeah. The other thing I did um, was this whole, all of SG5 are dead. Uh, let's just throw, let's throw all the red, the red shirts into the grave <laughs> and be done. It, to me, it would have felt more realistic to say, you know, we've lost another one. Two others are in, are in critical condition. You know, show some kind of progression rather than just, okay, they're all dead now. I mean, I get that they wanted to show that this was really serious and that there were deadly consequences, but it was sort of like, they're all dead now. Boop, gone.
1: Uh, and I think this goes back to having other SG teams a little bit more present in the show. Yes. Uh, I, if you have some of those people, if we can make connections to them as viewers, that would be more impactful. It's like, oh, shoot, that guy's dead. We saw them in six episodes prior to this, right? Like, now oh, it's just okay. Faceless people have died. Okay, <laughs> it sets up this. It sets up the stakes, but it could have been done a lot better. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you too. I think it's it's kind of a boring episode. Right, it drags. It it seems like it has the same problems as that other one. I forget the name of it already. Where the uh, UAV, uh, the
0: one false step.
1: Yeah, it hits the plant thing. It felt kind of similar. It's like there's a mystery, but then we're just going to drag it out through the whole show and there's nothing really else going on.
0: And for that one, we had theorized that more world building and more consistency as well as a B story would have helped that episode. So I think that's, you're right, that's consistent with this one as well.
1: Also at the end of that one, you're left wondering why aren't they exploring more of what's going on on this planet? Kind of the same here. Why aren't they exploring what's going on with this kid in his world? Has some of the similar issues. Agreed. So what would you rate this one? A three. Yeah, I would I would give it maybe a three or a four. I think. I was intrigued at the start. Like, oh, what's going on here? This is this light. Again, it's a cool sci-fi idea they have. It's kind of like they didn't know. How to build a full story around it? I'm with you. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to watch the episode again. <laughs> started off. Kind of, started off kind of cool. Then it just petered out.
0: And I will give it that because, I, again, I thought the production values were beautiful. I would go to that spa if it didn't kill me.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like a nice place otherwise.
0: And that concludes our conversation about Stargate SG-1 Season 4, our favorite episode, Upgrades, and our least favorite episode, The Light. We invite you to join us next time as we talk about Stargate SG-1 Season 5 with our favorite episode, Enemies, and least favorite episode, Rite of Passage. A big shout out to our Patreon supporters who make our writing and this work possible. We thank you so much for your support. And we invite you to like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. We know it's probably not a big deal for you to hit that like button and hit the subscribe button, but it means a lot to us and we thank you. This was a lot of fun, Mike. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. It's always a good time.
0: We'll talk to you soon.
1: All right. Bye-bye.